In our world, a lot of times from our position, this side of heaven, this side of glory, to know what is good and what is bad, sometimes it's hard to tell. Something fortunate turned out to be unfortunate, and something unfortunate turns out to be fortunate, right? And, and Douglas, you can see him wrestling with this, right? Or God's saying this, but the whole crowd's going that, and well, they're Christians, so they must know what they're doing, but... You know, and, and, and it gets a little higgly-piggly, right? What are we supposed to do? What's the right route? What's, what's fortunate and what's unfortunate in the big scheme of things, right? God knows, but we're kind of in the dark just a little bit. So I, I, I remember a story. It was a, a Chinese proverb, and it was told in the form of a story, and I had to ask my wife. She, she was a children's librarian. She immediately, bam, found it. Um, here it is. One day, a farmer's horse ran away. His neighbors expressed sympathy. What terrible luck that you lost your horse. The farmer replied, well, maybe so and maybe not. A few days later, the horse returned, leading several wild horses. The neighbor said, your horse has returned and brought more with him. What great fortune. The farmer replied, maybe so, maybe not. Later that week, the farmer's son was trying to break one of the wild horses, and he got thrown to the ground, breaking his leg. The villagers cried, oh, your poor son broke his leg. What a calamity. And the farmer replied, maybe so, maybe not. A few weeks later, soldiers from the National Army showed up, marched through town and conscripting all the able-bodied young men for the army. But they did not take the farmer's son because his legs were broken. The neighbors shouted, your boy is spared. What tremendous luck. To which the farmer replied, Maybe so, maybe not, right? In a nutshell, here's what's going on. The neighbors are always asking why, and the wise farmer, he always asks, he simply asks, why not? Right? In the neighbors' minds, luck, calamity, fortune, or something, or somebody had altered the normal state of life in this farmer's life. Right? The implication, and this isn't always the case, but in many cultures, the implication is that he must have done something good or bad. And now the neighbors got questions. They want to know, okay, what did you do to have this good luck? What did you do to have that bad luck? And this whole unwritten kind of discussion is going on just below, just below the surface. The idea, the implication being that one of these things, luck, calamity, fortune, something or somebody, had caused the farmer's fortunate or unfortunate circumstances. So naturally, the neighbors had lots of why questions, right? But again, the old wise old farmer, this cause and effect relationship wasn't always that settled. In the big scheme of things, who's to say what's fortunate and what's unfortunate? As I thought about this scripture that I'll be reading you this morning, we read a little bit of it. And actually, I won't be spending a lot of time in Hebrew, in fact, zero time. It'll be mostly in Exodus. But in the Exodus story, as related in the, by the Hebrew writer, um, as we think about the Exodus story, and, and, and as I started thinking about the, 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 the normal, typical journey of a Christian, I was like, man, these are all the same. They're the exact same. Um, the story actually describes both the wild and crazy ride known as the Exodus and the journey of typical Christians. Believers ask why. Non-believers tend to ask, why not? Right? When things get chaotic with no apparent sense of purpose, anything like that, a non-believer, they simply shrug their shoulders, right? It is what it is. The best they can do is shake their fist at the universe who considers them nothing but cosmic spittle. 
That was Jack London there for you literary types. See, but Christians, we got certain expectations, right? Of life in the promised land. There's the planned outreach project that a lot of money got sunk into, right? There's the expected pledges, the hope for number of volunteers, right? The promised healing of Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. The prayed for return of a prodigal child and the miraculous cure and the illnesses return. And when our expectations aren't met to our satisfaction, we shake our fist, but we don't shake our fist at a universe that doesn't care about us, that, of which we are nothing but cosmic spittle. We shake our fist at a God who's supposedly loving and faithful, and we demand, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my neighbors? Why is this happening at all? Like the neighbors in the story, we naturally ask why. Why me? Why us? Why him? Why her? Why all the pain and suffering? Why so costly? I mean, there's a thousand why questions when we're on this side of knowing why we're going through it. God can see the why. We can't. So what's our situation? When we can't see the reasons behind why we're struggling, why we're experiencing the valleys and the journey, we tend to lose our sense of purpose. During these bad times when things aren't going as planned or as hoped for or as prayed for, as promised, we quickly ask ourselves, and I know you've all been to this stage, you got going full head of steam and then you ran into the first couple troubles and you're looking at each other and you're saying, why are we even doing this? It's already obvious that we're not going to match our goal, we're not going to meet our expectations, we're, it's why, why, why don't we just stop, just stop, just quit. And when these questions become the dominant questions, all the why questions, it's a very short and easy second step to where did we go wrong, right? Have we done something wrong? How did we get the will of God so wrong? And again, we see this in churches. We see this in stories in the Bible. We see this in humanity. Start off with a full head of steam. Everyone's absolutely positive of the goal. We know we're going to succeed in a couple road bumps, a couple... You know, detours and just the, the wheels fall off. <laughs> People are diving left and right, quitting the program, and they're escaping. Every time you slow down, somebody jumps out of the car like, I don't want to be on this boat anymore because this is a sinking boat. That's what happens. But here's the deal. Troubles in the life of God's children shouldn't come as a surprise, right? Both the Old and the New Testament makes this, <laughs> this I don't say this in just painfully clear, Painfully clear in Jesus' own words, he says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, because in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Right? We will have trouble. See, we get this expectation that since we're God's people, this is God's church, and we're going to go out and win people for God, that all of our plans should succeed automatically. There should be no barriers, no hiccups, no nothing. And when those arrive, we think, ah, we got it wrong. We got it wrong. Right? Maybe God didn't want Everyone back to the drawing board. Everybody back to your knees. Right? We, we moved too fast. We didn't wait long enough. We weren't still long enough. Both the Psalms and the prophets, they make it incredibly clear. Life is going to be full of sad times and inequalities. Even the Lord's servants will be asked to serve in darkness and in dangerous situations. Writers throughout the New Testament call us to consider it pure joy when facing trials and tribulations. Peter says this, rejoice as you participate in the sufferings of Jesus. Rejoice. 
See, and we take the exact opposite. We think, oh, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Everything's wrong. Everything's wrong. And yet the entire scripture tells us that's normal. That's normal. This is a broken world you live in, and you've got a task ahead of you. And that task, you will run into barriers. But don't lose heart. I will never leave or forsake you. We're going to do this thing. We are going to complete this project. No matter what happens, no matter what barriers show up. But again, even with all this evidence, all this information in God's word, in times of confusion and bewilderment, the why questions dominate. Right? Christians, when this happens, they typically turn to two explanations. As to the barriers, the problems, the issues coming up in their lives. Two issues. Two explanations. Number one, it's Satan. Spiritual warfare. Right? That's the culprit. Satan found a loophole in the plan. Right? We either didn't pray long enough, sit long enough, wait long enough, or we prayed too long, we sat too long, and we waited too long. I don't know. Then we missed the sweet spot. Right? And it didn't, it didn't work out. So Satan figured it out, and he's sticking it to us. Or, or it's our fault. That, that's the second we go to very quickly. Knowingly or unknowingly, we, we messed up. Right? We strayed from his perfect plan. We, we, we just we got it wrong. <laughs> Bad on us. But in all honesty, if we're brutally honest, these two things do play into nearly every situation. Right? There is always spiritual warfare going on. And before any project we hit our knees, that's the first thing we do. There's no doubt about that. And right, we do do a lot of stupid things, if we're really honest with ourselves. Right? We kick ourselves more often than other people kick us. Right? That's just, we know this. Again, Satan and us. We do, we do mess things up a lot. But Satan and us don't tell the whole story all the time. And neither of them tell the strange story of the Exodus. Or really many of your stories. I've heard many of your stories. You didn't do anything wrong. And I don't think Satan was out to get you. But you know what? This world is filled with not only the evil one, not only people colluding with the evil one, but in this world there is genuine evil. There is genuine evil. Sometimes, sometimes, it's not Satan, it's not our fault. Sometimes God's the one behind the chaos. And when we hear this, this is somewhat encouraging. Right? If, we, if it's not Satan and we didn't mess up, well, if God's behind it, then it's got to be good. Right? And, and something's going to good come from it, and so I just got to be- This is good news if I find out and if we decide that God is behind it. Right? Now, to be sure, right, there's a difference between seemingly insurmountable, impossible odds or barriers to what we've already decided was God's plan, what we've already decided was the right and correct plan of action. We're already moving on down that road. We know we're doing the right thing. And then barriers hit. I'm not talking about that at this point. Right? There's a difference between that, you know, persevering, not wavering, trusting God, when barriers hit in the midst of God's plan, clearly God's plan. There's a difference between that and the presence of genuine evil, though. There's a difference between the cost of God's redemptive plan and the damages of genuine evil. A lot of people will look at evil and they'll say, well, well, God's behind that one. He's got a plan for that one. He's going to turn. Someone's going to learn a lesson. And I I don't buy that anymore. I, I just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to God's word. It doesn't make sense in reality. There are things in this world that God's hand was not in. The hand of evil was. Not to say that God's hand was impotent. 
But it is to say that there is genuine evil in this world. And that is the cause of some of our problems. We've got to stop blaming everyone else. Things happen in this world. The good news, even when we can't discern God's hand, right? Is it God's hand or the hand of evil? We know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. So regardless, what was the cause? We know that God's going to work out something good if we trust him and we give the problem to him. Now, I think just, just very quickly, lots of folks, I think they just need to recognize that pain and suffering in their lives might not be a part of God's plan. That's a, that's a hard one to handle. Right? It might not be, there might not be any lesson, there might not be anything to be learned in your pain and suffering. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to cheapen your pain. Right? We all want suffering to be about something, not to be pointless. Something good might come of pain and suffering, but sometimes not. It's just pain and suffering. And Christ knows it. And God is beside us in his spirit. He walks beside us in those moments of pain and suffering that are simply part of this world. Now, as I said earlier with the Exodus story, there's no ambiguity, right? God was definitely pulling the strings. And again, as, we, as you look at your lives and you're looking at whatever it is, your situation, you're wondering, is Satan pulling the strings or did I get a hold of them and got them all tangled up or is this God pulling the strings, right? And again, that, that's a difficult one. You need the body to help you decide and discern those, those kind of things. But again, in this situation, sometimes it's God pulling the strings. Listen to this. Uh, this is from Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22. By day the Lord went ahead of them in the pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Right? So every move in whatever direction, every stop and start, every turn on the trail was the will of God. So nowhere as you read through the Exodus story starting in chapter 13 that continues through about chapter 17, it's not just the crossing of the Red Sea. They had quite an adventure before and after, the, which we would call the, the, the Exodus event. It wasn't, again, just crossing um, the Red Sea. I mean, there was all sorts of crazy things going on, all sorts of left and right turns. The people were confused. They were angry. They were happy. They were... Again, as you read, it, this is your homework this afternoon, chapters 13 through 17. Right? You, you, you will, as you read through this, you'll, you'll begin to go, well, wait, 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 wait. I've experienced this. This, this is my story. <laughs> right? God told me everything's going to be good, and all of a sudden I turn around, and it's horrible. And, all, and, and then totally unexpected, everything is wonderful again, and then right around the corner, it's just, that's just, just the, the journey we take. It's a roller coaster. Starting in Exodus chapter 13, I'm just going to give you a, just a, re, a quick, quick real review here. Chapter 13, verse 17 says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. And listen to this. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. You catch that a weird, weird last line there. Right? The Israelites were ready for war, but God knew they weren't. Right? They're like, oh, like we start every project. Oh, we're going to win. We're going to have 100 people here next week because of our backpack. Oh, we're going to, oh. And then 
didn't happen as we expected, as promised, as prayed for, as, and we, we go, we, we, we turn on ourselves. Well, what did we do wrong? Well, what did you do wrong? Well, that was your stupid idea. Well, whose idea was this? And we, it, it just it, it, it blows up. It blows up. The Israelites were ready for war, but God knew they weren't. So where and when the people expected to turn north to the promised land, to the land flowing with milk and honey, God instead turned them south straight into the desert wilderness. And you know they're thinking, who's in charge here? Moses, are you listening? Are you getting the instructions right? So after traveling for south for a bit, if you have a map, they're traveling south. This happens. I mean, immediately afterwards, tell the Israelites to turn back. It's like, God, did you forget something? Did you leave your wallet? I mean, what's go what is going on? Tell the Israelites to turn back in the camp near Piharatoth, between Magadal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite of Baal Zephon. The Israelites had a purpose in mind. You, you, you get this, right? Their, their purpose was to get the heck out of Dodge. Right? That, that's all they wanted to do. That, come on, God. You're with us, right? This is your plan too, right? But God seems to have had an entirely different plan, right? And it apparently is to get trapped in Dodge because they were now trapped between the mountains and the sea. And the people were like, again, Moses, Moses, <laughs> tell us again exactly what God said because we think you're messing up the translation because he had us going south and now he has us going north and you're blaming, are you sure what God said? Because he seems confused or you're not hearing him correctly. So there, there's this, all, all this, this, this confusion, right? See, but God knew something the Israelites didn't know. This is verse 3 and 4, chapter 14. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. Now that phrase has bothered a lot of people. God is basically just letting Pharaoh's heart go where it wants to go. Bottom line, he didn't do this to Pharaoh. Kind of like in Paul in Romans when he talks about us, when God just says, look, if they don't want me, I'm going to let them not have me. This is what's going on here. God knew Pharaoh's heart was hard. God could have continued to lean into him. But he said, you know what? He hates me. He dishonors me. I'm just going to let him have his way because I can use that. So, he, again, he didn't twist Pharaoh Pharaoh was already on the road. God just kind of gave him a little bit more direction. So, uh, keep reading. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Again, from the Israelites' perspective, lots of why questions. From God's perspective, no more questions. No more questions. It's time to throw you all into the deep end. You're going to sink or swim. I mean, literally, that's what God did to them. Right? You notice this. He led them into a trap. And they either had to totally trust him or completely distrust and run from him and disown him. It's like dads do, right? And they love their kids. They throw them in the deep end, sink or swim. I feel like this is exactly what God is doing here. So just as God had predicted and he prepared for, Pharaoh gives chase. As Pharaoh approached... The Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. And after crying out to the Lord, they turned on Moses. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us up out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. 
It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this desert. And Moses does his best to placate the people, right? He answered the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and you'll see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. But as we quickly find out, the people weren't the only ones crying out to God. Because between chapters 4, verses 14 and 15, something happened. In 14, the people are complaining, and then in verse 15, God is having a word with Moses. That, that's the best way I'm going to say it. Right? As far as we can tell, as far as we read, Moses must have listened to all the complaining, and it got to him. Right? Leaders aren't bulletproof. And he must have decided at some point, maybe, maybe I got it all wrong. And he decided to go back to the, the drawing board, back to the war room, the prayer room. This is what must, again, we don't have any indication. All we know is in chapter 14, the people were complaining. And then in chapter 15, God is kind of unloading on Moses. Right? And again, Moses, we don't know what he did. Maybe he's, he's waiting some more. Maybe get some better updated instructions. We don't know what Moses said, but we know what God said to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Again, that, that's, that's the clue that Moses must have. Lord, the people and me, I don't know what to do. What are you doing? You've led us into a trap. And this must have gone on, although we don't have it in Scripture, but this is God's response. Why are you crying out to me, Moses? Tell the Israelites to get moving. Well, what, are we supposed to pray? Are we, no. You've already prayed. There is a time for prayer to stop and you get up on your feet and get moving. This is that time. Again, God isn't rebuking Moses for offering up prayers to him. To cry out in a time of peril is what God calls us to do. But taken into context, God is saying, look, the time has come. Get up off your knees and start moving. I've given you your direction. You don't need any more guidance. Go. Literally go. Stop praying. Get up and start doing when the Lord spoke to Israel, he was saying, I will fight for you, and you will only have to be silent. He didn't mean that they had nothing to do. Right? There's always something to do. The people of Israel were called to walk by faith as God did his part. Chapters, or excuse me, verses 16 and 17. Raise your staff, God speaking to Moses. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry land. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. The Israelites just wanted to get out of slavery. Get out of Dodge. That's all, that, that was on their agenda. That was their purpose. See, but that's where the things... That's where things got difficult for them in their own minds because they, all they could think about is their purposes rather than God's purpose. God had something greater in mind. It wasn't just to get out of Dodge. He had a whole bunch of things he was going to be doing. Right? He was going to eliminate the Egyptians' chance of ever regrouping. Historical records show that for near between 20 and 30 years, they couldn't do anything because this was such a disaster. I mean, they were just shut down. So all the time they're wandering around in the wilderness when the, the Pharaoh's army could easily have just gotten and ended it, just, just like that, God's like, you know what? I'll take care of that. 
The Israelites don't know it's a problem. I'll, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of the, the, the Egyptians. He's going to eliminate the Egyptians. He's going to get them to the promised land, and he was going to get the glory. That was what he was going to do. That's what was going to happen. Bottom line, no matter what, that's, that's, those were his purposes. And when the people got their purposes confused with his purposes, confusion reigned. And they had all the why questions instead of, why not? Why not me? Hey, send me. Right? Another important lesson here, and it's a real key to our passage. God, excuse me, we want answers before we move. But God tends to give answers when we move. I don't know if you've noticed that. Right now, now, I'll back up a little bit. God actually gives us a lot of answers before we move, but it's not the answers that we want. It's not, we, we want some details, right? But he's already given us the direction, the purpose. He's given us all that. But then we, we, we want, you know, all the details all, all along the way. But again, it turns out that as we move forward, obeying what we already know to be the true and righteous course of action... As we take that course of action, our, our questions actually change. They change, right? Before, our questions were what happens when we fail. But once we turn to God's purposes, our questions change to what will happen if God succeeds. No longer are we asking why, why, why me, why so costly, why. Those questions all go out the, go out the window. And they're replaced with, wow, what could happen if God succeeds? That becomes our biggest concern my pastor used to ask me this. I'd tell him a project. He'd say, well, what are you going to, um, how are you going, what is your youth ministry going to look like afterwards? I don't know. He said, well, then you don't really believe in your plan, do you? <laughs> he was right, though. Right? He was right. I had no expectation of success. Zero. And he kept, what are you going to do with your success? I don't think I'm going to succeed. <laughs> Exactly, Jerry. You don't trust God. Came down on hard on me that day. See, our concerns, our questions change from what if we fail to what if God succeeds. When life seems confusing, we want all the answers, but the Bible doesn't give the answers we want. We want answers that will make the unexpected fit into a logical framework that covers all of our lives, that will explain all of our ups and downs. Right? We want to hear that story. Those answers, but the Bible doesn't give those answers. It gives true explanations, but not of the human logic type, right? But the, rather the type to invite us to identify with God's purposes in our lives rather than our own. The Bible invites us to trust, to rest, to sit still, and to see God's glory. And again, that doesn't mean that we sit back and do nothing. We sit back, we move, and he gets glorified. It all happens simultaneously. Again, as one winds through the rest of the chapters, 13 through 17, and then the whole wilderness experience, seems like God wants them to know something, something important. Sometimes good will look bad and bad will appear good. Just remember, trust God rather than trusting changing circumstances or your own understandings because those are both limited, incredibly limited. Trust me. After the crucifixion, the disciples asked all the why questions. Right? Was this a fortunate event or was this an unfortunate event? Right? Following Jesus for three years, <laughs> they, they really weren't sure. They were, I believe, down in the valley quite a bit. But, right? On the night before Jesus was crucified, he asked the same questions that we ask. He asked all the why questions. I don't know if you realize this. When you look at the book of Mark and the crucifixion scene, it, it comes out in a different way than the other gospels. 
In the book of Mark, listen to this. This is, this is, this is basically Jesus asking, why? Why? Abba Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Why do I got to drink from this cup? Is essentially what Jesus is saying to his heavenly Father here. But notice that he quickly moves to, if this is your plan, why not? Why not? Get not what I will, but what you will. Heidi's going to come up. She's going to play a song, a special for us. And again, maybe this is you this morning. And as she plays, we're going to be preparing for communion. Again, if, you've, if you haven't gotten the little deal, they're right out in the lobby. I think somebody will get their one for you. If you raise your hand, we can get one to you. Um, and again, maybe this is your situation this morning, and you're asking why, right? You've lost your sense of purpose. And maybe it's time to ask why not. And again, I don't know what each of you are facing, but my guess is each person in this room is facing something that God is calling them to do. And at this point, maybe some of you are asking why, and he's waiting for you to come around to why not. You know what was the right decision to make? But now in the face of certain defeat, God's going to have to fight the real battle if God is going to be glorified. It costs Jesus, and it's going to cost me. Maybe it's time, like Peter said, to join in the suffering of Christ. And again, as we, we share communion, understand that Jesus made that decision. Why not me? It won't be good for me. But this is the Father's plan. This is the Father's purpose. So that's what I'm going to lean into. So I just want to challenge us all this morning. In your own lives, what is God calling you to do? And maybe you've decided, why has it got to be so costly? Why? A lot of whys. And this morning as you share communion, let Jesus answer your question.